34. So if you will take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 34. We looked at the first part, uh, first four verses last time. And we see that this was written by David um, as a memorial psalm to a very bad day. Okay, a very scary day where he almost lost his life. And it shows that God preserved him and he gave glory to God. So this is uh, starting in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want of them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and the ears that are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He keepeth all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So we've spent two weeks on this psalm. Um, It was a thrill, uh, but we did not get past verse 4. I'm sorry. We're, we see that this is a particular uh, interesting things about the psalm. <clears throat> Come up, some of it is completely a Hebrew poetry thing. First thing is this is an alphabetical psalm. Every part of this psalm is, starts with the first letter, second letter, third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And either the first line starts with that letter or a group of lines each start with that letter and it moves to the next. So there's a structure to it. And the second thing we saw is that it is very weird, different than English, in that it forms the letter X. Okay? So you have the first line of this psalm and the last line of this psalm that essentially say the same thing. Or the second will amplify the second, uh, the, the first, or some kind of explain the first, or maybe make it wider in some context. Then the second line of the psalm and the second to the last line of the psalm are linked. So as you go towards the middle, each of these have an echo. And then when you get to the middle of the X, you've got the most important part. So this is something that we don't have. I don't know of a single English poem like this. There's actually an architecture to this, which means that you can make some, some suppositions. 
knowing that there's a structure to it, you can simply look at the structure and see, well, what is the most important thing that's being said? And we see that when you get to the letter L in Hebrew, you are at the middle of the X. And the middle of, of X is verse 11, which says, Come, all children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So this is David. And this was David writing a commemorative uh, psalm about a day that he nearly lost his life, that God delivered him. So at the beginning of the psalm, he speaks about himself. So at the first part, we saw that it was a call to, to praise, a call a corporate. All of us, let's praise God together. He's so worthy of it. We saw that in Psalm 33, a couple weeks ago, most of the psalm was just numerous reasons why that God is worthy to be praised by us, that we have something to do with it, that we can look at God being separate from us and, and are dazzled by it, but then we have a more of a reason to sing because God has involved us. We are that family that God takes care of. We are that city of Zion that he shelters and that he speaks for. So God has connected himself with us, and so that makes more reason for us to praise him. So when you get into past that first part where he's calling us all to praise, we see that David shows his testimony. And last week we talked about the power of a personal testimony. What is it about your testimony that God can use, not just in your life when you have struggles, but also in other people's lives? You can lend people confidence based upon what has happened in your life. And it's not a lie. God truly has met you in a different way than in other people that you can speak to. You can testify to the goodness of God in your life that will help others when they're in a, in a crisis. And then I promise they'll do the same in return to you. We help each other. We go back and forth helping each other. So when we see that the most important verse here is, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. This is based upon David's testimony. David knows something about God. He, he recognized something about God. He found out something about God. God revealed himself to David in such a way that David now has the right to speak into our lives. And we have a right to speak into other people's lives. And we're actually called to that. We are to minister to each other based on the goodness of God. So today, the remainder of this, this psalm, I've changed the title. <clears throat> so it's not so much about David's personal testimony, but the fear of God. What is it that God said, I want to teach you? I want to teach you the fear of the Lord rooted in the goodness of God. So the goodness of God is a floor that never changes, that allows us to reverence God, to know how good God is, to know who he is, to have even some idea of who he is. In the heart of a believer elicits praise. So let's praise the Lord together. Let's magnify the Lord together, David says. But what he's doing is, let me show you, give me you the reasons why that God is to be feared based upon his goodness. So you don't fear God as a cowering, trembling God as just a volcano that will kill you, though God is a volcano that can kill you. But he is a good person. He, there is no person in the universe like God. There is no one like him. He is separate from all of us. He's not just better than us. 
He is different from us. He's transcendent to us, but yet he's right here. And he promises to meet where two and three are together in his name. He is with us. And the Holy Spirit is the teacher that is teaching those eternal things that will always be the same. These, these words in his Bible are more than written in stone. The, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, were carved in stone and broken the first day they were promised to. This is way more important than carved in stone. This is carved in us. This is carved in our heart. To a person who trusts God through Christ, the law is put into our hearts to where we're delighting to know who God is. To teach me who God is makes me want to love him. And that love is a strong enough emotion to obey. If you just make me afraid, I can hate your guts and obey you. But when you make me love you, that is a, that's more power. I will do more for you out of every shred of, in my heart if you can convince me who God is. And that's what David said. Let me tell you the fear of the Lord grounded in the goodness of God that I experienced in my life and that you as a believer have experienced in your life. So let's start then. Um, let, me, let me review quickly his testimony. This happened in 1 Samuel 21. We, fa- we just studied in Sunday school today, 1 Samuel 20, and we see that David and Jonathan part company, and David has to run from Saul. Saul wants to kill him, and he runs. Well, he doesn't have anywhere to run to. He's trapped. Everywhere that he would go, there are friends of Saul, and Saul has, has essentially made it known throughout the entire kingdom that David is to be, is to be arrested and tried as a, as a traitor and killed. So David is on the run, and the only place he can run is the enemy camp. He ends up with the Philistines. And so he is brought before the king of the Philistines, and everyone in the room knows that he's the champion of their archenemy. This is the number one warrior in the, the army of the other side. And here he is standing right in front of the king. And David, in that time is terrified. He knows that he's about to be killed. And he knows that, that Saul now knows where he is and that he's, he's trapped. He's trapped in all ways, and there is nothing that he can do except depend upon God. And so he is delivered that day. He's delivered because the king thinks that, that he is out of his mind crazy. And because the king was in a particular mood that day, he said, will you get this guy out of my palace I don't need any more crazy people. I've got enough crazy people working for me. I don't need any more thank yous. And he'd show him the door. The guards would have loved to just cut his throat. But instead, David is delivered and is, is free for another day. That God protects him and provides for him. And even though one day after another can be one series of catastrophes, Over the lifetime, you look back and say, God has protected me all the way. He's led me all the way. My Savior leads me. That's what you can say. In the middle of the time, you're frantic. But over the course of your life, there's a serenity to knowing that God is the one that is really in charge. And he's in charge of you. And he's in charge of all of your enemies. He's in charge of the ones that would do you wrong. He is in charge of that all, and you can trust that goodness, even though you are the one that's going through that frantic time. 
You were the one that's standing in front of Achish, the king of Gath, knowing that at any time all he has to do is say a word and every guard is He surrounds you and cares for you. He plans your day, and he sets you up. He sets you up for catastrophe that he is going to get you out of. And all those times you can look back and see God's hand in it. That's called providence. Providence is God's doing all things. What you think of as good and what you think of as not good. And God does them that he may be glorified and that you may be stronger than you were yesterday. And that's what happens. So when David says, let's magnify him together, let's know who God is together, let me tell you what I went through. Well, in the back of his mind, that's what he went through. And he's writing this psalm. And it's very possible that while he was speaking to the king of Gath, he was speaking this psalm. All that you heard of who God is and why he's to be praised could be thought of as, as absolute crazy by the king of the wicked. Why would I even imagine that that your religion has something to do with me? That's a lot of that's the that's the society we live in. Um, God is mocked. Now, okay, uh, God will not always be mocked. God will not be mocked. But people will think that they get away with it now, and they're, they're, you will meet lots of them like that. So when he shows his testimony, his testimony is very short. He doesn't tell the whole story. He could have easily told the whole story. There are multiple psalms that you can take the entire psalm, and word for word, it's in the book of Samuel. Whole chapters. There is a psalm where the entire psalm, all of it, is also one whole chapter in Isaiah. Duplicated. There are two psalms to where David, in his life uh, that Samuel basically tells the story of David, goes back and tells the entire psalm. It was something so important that when he wrote the psalm, it made it into the history book and into the songbook. Both of them together, and they're duplicates of each other. This, he did not reduplicate. He didn't duplicate this psalm in his story. He simply said three things. He said, I sought the Lord. He heard me. He answered me and delivered me. That's what he said. And so, in some ways, you have so much information. If you've lived with the Lord of any, any time, you have so many times that God has helped you in so many different ways that as you're counseling someone else, it's not always the details that you share. You say, these things I know is true of God, and I don't know your specific situation. I've never, I've never suffered the way you're suffering now, and I'm not going to say that I have. I've never gone through what you've gone through, but I know that I sought the Lord. He heard me, answered me, and delivered me. And that's the same God that's God of you. So you truly can comfort others with the comfort that God comforted you with. It is something that, in some ways, God is still their God. God is just as much God over them as he's over you, but he's using you in his work in their life. 
Because you talk to them. You know them. You're another person like them that they can see. They know your, your inadequacies. They know your, how feeble you are. And they know when God has been victorious in your life. And you can help through your testimony. And that's what David does here. So look at five. We'll start here. Of all Christian people. He said those to look to God, meaning in total reliance on who God is, faithful, looking to him even in your weakness, their faces are radiant, okay, shining. To a person who's trusting God, not in a, I hope God helps me, not in a superstition way. And most of the people that you know have a very superstitious religion. There is no problem having a religion. And having a superstition, I hope so, kind of religion, you can have a superstitious religion rooted in some kind of a Christianity. Absolutely. To a person who trusts in God, who all of their eggs are in his basket, that person is never truly ashamed. They go through their crises. They go, you watch them live. But there is something that they're always getting higher. They're always getting stronger. There's something more beautiful about them at the end and their face okay now david is referring back to moses's face and we had a whole sermon a few months ago in second corinthians 3 that paul talked about moses's face shining all right if you remember moses went up for 40 days to get the law on the mountain and everybody was in the valley and moses was scared of god He recognizes that God was terrifying. He understood how scary he was. But the longer he spent time with God, the more Moses' heart changed. Moses wasn't just afraid of him. He was amazed and delighted and wanted more. The longer he knew God, the more he loved him. And that was a strange emotion. The idea that he was attracted to him and wanted to be in him. And not like a moth that wants to kill itself on a candle, that he's attracted to the flame to his death. Moses was attracted to God in such a way that when he came down from the mountain, his face shined. In fact, his face was so shiny that he had to put a cloth over his face because he was freaking people out. Because they could tell that what was God bounced off of Moses' face and stayed just a little bit long and just very slowly bit away. You can tell when a person spends time with Jesus. You can tell. You know. Those are the people you want them to pray for you. You're not just interested in having a religious person or a church attender to be the ones that are calling out for you as you are going through crisis. You want someone who spends time with with God. And these people, something is true of them, their faces are shiny, and they don't get credit for the shine. When your face is shiny because you spent time with God, all that people know is you just spent time with God. There's something that they know about you, and God gets the glory for it. So he's saying all people are true like this. they, They will not be ashamed. So the first thing I wrote down here as I'm trying to piece this into making sense of this chapter The first thing I wrote down is when a godly man looks past his distress and he's looking into the face of God and God winks at him, something happens. If you recognize God has got this, God accepts you on Jesus' estate 
and now you're going through whatever you're going through. You're looking through your distress, and you're just sure that God hates you too. I hate you, Brian, says God. How many times has the voices in my head, I don't know if you have voices in your head, never listen to those voices. They, he hates your guts, Brian. No, what happens is you look directly at God through your distress, and if you see his smiling face, it's not because he's mocking you. He doesn't look at your distress and smile ironically like, I love, I love sad stories like this. I can't wait till he gets it in the end. That's not how God does. God loves you in Christ. He loves you as much as he loves Christ. He exalt, will exalt you to the highest throne. You will share a throne with Christ. Tell me that that is not God's love, and God loves you as much now in real time as he will for eternity and eternity. And you are going through crisis right now. You look straight through your distress, and you look into God's face, and if he is smiling, there is safety. Suddenly, life is different. If you decide to go up Cranberry and sleep on the ground in a tent and you decide to not have running water, and you decide to cook your coffee in a, in, a, in a pot, suddenly now it's camping. There is really a difference between what you think of as low, what you think of as, as bad, and how much you can endure when you're doing it for fun. When you're doing it with your kids in the backyard, it's fun. You call it fun. Though you're, you don't have your bed, and you did sleep on a route all night long, Okay? But you, but you have to know, if I look past this distress and God winks and he says, I got this, watch this, watch what I'm going to do, suddenly now I can endure it. I can endure it to my very last day. You, t- you give me whatever situation, if you know that God has me here for a purpose, that he is not making, he's, in the, he's with me in the fire. And I'm screaming, God, it's it's fire. I can't do it. Yes, I know it's fire. Yes, I know it's hot. Yes, I know. And he'll weep with you. But he doesn't pull you out because you will come out as gold, I promise. I, I promise you will come out as gold. He doesn't hate you. You but where you where you're the idiot is if you look at your distress and that's as far as you look. And then you imply that God hates your guts. And you do not look and see his smiling face. So the first thing I wrote down is that if you look and you see his fine, shining face, you see his smile, that even in the midst of your adversity, there will be shine come off of your face so that you can affect other people and you're also comforted. You know that God's got you. In fact, it becomes fun. Now, you have to take that with whatever you take it as. Is your life fun when you're going through distress? No, but if you know that it is just that eye is not seen and ear has not heard, neither has entered into the hearts of man what God has prepared, then this little bit is not even worth comparing. You realize that God is doing something in you. It's a workout that no one likes, but they love wearing muscle shirts. That's all I know how to say, what to say, okay? They love wearing a muscle shirt. They don't like diets. And they don't like lifting heavy things above their head. But they'll do it because they know what it's like when someone, I don't know, bats their eyes at you or something like that. 
Okay, it's never really happened to me, but. So, the, so going on to six, he's still talking by himself. This poor man cried, and God heard him and saved him. So this is his testimony. Now, as he starts getting towards the middle of the X, he now has teaching to do. Okay? He's told what's happened to him. Now, what is, what is true that you must know? Because what I taught you, hopefully, is you don't look just at your distress. You look through your distress at God's shining face. That's so important. Because then you'll have comfort. You'll have comfort in God's love for you that's eternal. So he does the same. In verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Do you see? That's why we, that's why we sung the, the hymn this morning. God encamps around you like the hills of Jerusalem to protect you in the midst of the things he is putting in your path to do. He is encouraging you. He doesn't destroy you. He encourages you. He doesn't do it because he hates you. He does it because he knows what you will be. He is making something eternal out of us. And it takes, it takes more than Netflix and a soft couch to make something out of us. It truly does. Okay? So what I wrote down here has, is, the, is Elisha. Do you remember Elisha, the king of Syria, is coming because Elisha always says bad things about him, and he hates his guts, and he wants to kill him. So he sends an army around Elisha's house. So here is an army, so the servant comes out in the morning to get the water. So it's 5.30 in the morning, it's barely, it's barely sunlight, Everybody, everybody's just waking up, the servant comes out to get the water, and he looks, and there is an army all the way around the house. And the guy grabs his heart and he's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And he goes back in, master, 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 there's an army, the Syrians are here, they're going to kill us all, they're completely around the house, there's nothing we can do. Right? So Elisha prays. Now, search your memory. What does he pray for? Do you remember this? You would imagine that he prays, oh God, deliver us from this army that's all the way around my house. There's an army around my house, and you're big, and you can protect me. Will you please protect me? But Elisha prays, Oh, God, open up the eyes of my servant. That's what he prays. And God answers his prayer. Do you remember this now? He answers the prayer, and all of a sudden, Elisha's servant looks, and in front of the army that's surrounding his house is an army of angels surrounding his house. And he's, so it's Elijah. Elijah simply could see. He could see the distresses, and it's not all comedy. Elisha didn't say, oh, this is going to be a fun day. Okay, because bad things happen during days like this. But he knew that there were more fighting for us than could ever fight against us. If God intends to do you good, he will do you good. There, there really is, you just have to say, what does faith mean? Faith is not, I'm strong, I have faith, I'm a big guy, look at me. Faith is simply, wow, that floor is unbreakable. That's all faith is. I have never broken the floor as many times as I've tried, and I've never known anyone that's trusted God that ever broke through to his own destruction. You cannot pull yourself out of God's hand, and neither can anyone snatch you out. God keeps those that are his. And that is an eternal thing. It's not just eternal in the eternals. It's right now. That means if God has to move heaven and earth 
to rescue you. Well, get ready. That's the way it works. You simply have to say, I will trust despite it. And when Job says, though he slay me, I trust in him. Even to the point of he's slaying me. Do you not realize that's what Jesus did? Jesus was answering Job's joke. When you think of that, you're like, oh, that's good faith. Though he slay me, you know what I'm talking about? Job says, though he slay me, I'll trust in him. Jesus is the only one that went through that. He trusted though he slayed me. I will never have to be slayed under God's justice, ever. I never have to worry about that. God's law has nothing to do with me. God's law and the penalty of it fell on Jesus Christ, and I'm free. And what I do now is rooted in the love of God because he's good. And I promise that will change my behavior way more than if you give me ten commandments to follow. You give me ten commandments and the threat of hell, nah, I can look straight into the threat of hell and say, hey, let's get hot. And I know you're as wicked as I am. I know you are. That's the way we are. We'll, we'll, take, we'll walk right into our destruction thinking we're brave. No, no, no. You look into God's goodness and it will break you. It will shatter you. When you look into his goodness, there is nothing you will say no to God for. Nothing. Because you're like, oh, God, that good. What does he ask me to do? Be like him? Yes, I'll try. If God will help me, I will start living like he lives. That's all, that's all it is. So when he goes to eight, now we're getting really close to the X. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Now, see, he's making direct. Now, this is teaching. This is a commandment to a student. Do something and see it. Test it. Show it. Prove it. Prove that God is good. And this is not a, a try it, you'll like it kind of thing. This is show yourself that God is trustworthy. Okay? Um, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. That's all it means. I prove him by living. By living as a faithful person is simply trusting God to be kind to me for Jesus' sake. That's all it is. I think totally promised that I will always be shown kindness for Jesus' sake. I take him at his word. That's all faith is. Faith is not in me. Faith is not in itself. Faith is in something trustworthy. That's what faith is in. So when it says, taste and see the Lord is good, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's what connects Psalm 32, 33, and 34 together. All of those psalms have that same phrase in it. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. How? How is happy the man who is trusting God? He's happy in so many different ways, and it takes many different psalms to express that. And that's what, the, that's what this section of the, of the psalm book is. It's showing us the reasons why a person is happy who's trusting God. Now, Peter loves him some Psalm 32, 3, and 4. He quotes huge parts of Psalm 34. When you read 1 Peter, he will quote it in chapter 2, he'll quote it in chapter 3, and he quotes huge sections of it. So all in in 1 Peter chapter 2, this entire passage is quoted. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, 
He's thinking of this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So live like it if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Do you remember Peter? Jesus is walking across the water. Now, that freaks you out. There's nobody alive that, that would not freak them out. Jesus is walking on the lake. And Peter says the most amazing thing. I can't even imagine it. Peter, Peter's a lot like me. He speaks before he thinks. He's goofy. I don't know if you, you feel like that too. But he said the most amazing thing. He said, if it's you, Lord, call me out to you. That would have never occurred to me. But that's what faith does. Faith is, if it's you, make me do something. Not do something, but make me do something. If it's you, and Jesus said, come. And that man stepped out onto water. Not because he's Superman. He's not Superman. Do you see it? To trust in Christ is to trust in Christ. And somehow you are living a life that is worthy of a child of God who trusts, whose face is radiant. Okay? Blessed is the man who takes refuge. And so he said, he said, if you've tasted to see that the Lord is good, stop talking filthy. It does not matter if the people around you think that's cool or not. You can't do it. Not with your real heart. You cannot be a filthy man trusting God. Your face is radiant. It can't be two things. If you've tasted and see that the Lord is good, then certain things will become true of you. You see, his commandments were based on the goodness of God. If you look into the New Testament, there are way more commandments in the New Testament than in the Old. But every one of them are rooted in the goodness of God. Peter, in this case, the apostle, tells you that God is good and then commands something of you based upon the fact that God is good. And that's enough. Suddenly now, a life that's dirty stops being dirty. It's powerful. Do you see it? With no, with no applause. Nobody applauds them. I simply can't live that way anymore. The filthiest man that's ever lived. I can't do it anymore. And I don't get bragged on. Do you see it? Only God. The shine is God's shine coming off of your face. So that's what happens. And so Peter quotes it again and again. This is Habakkuk. I had to put Habakkuk because I like to say Habakkuk. I think it's the, the coolest book just because of its name. This is uh, verse 17, chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Do you see it? Though there's, no, there's nothing in the, in the larder, there's nothing in the pantry except pans, I'll trust God because he's shown himself in my life. And if there is a lean time, it's so that God will receive more glory and I will have more faith at the end. That's what a trusting soul does. It's not an idiot. Oh, I like being deprived. I like being poor. I like being made fun of. I like being the one not, not picked for dodgeball. All right? That is, that's not what it is. A trusting person simply looks into the goodness of God and says, God doesn't change. 
That good God doesn't change. That means this situation is on purpose, and I'll take it with a yes, sir. There is a purposeful reason why I have to go through what I'm going through, and I will take it because God is good. And it's not, it's not me being silly by thinking that. It is, it's, it's, it's something that's strong. Verse 9 says, fear the Lord, you his saints. Do you see it? You're the one who knows God is good. You're the one who fears him. The people who don't know God's goodness will fear him with trembling. One day their pant leg will be wet. That does not mean they're fearing God. They'll be afraid of God. But you will respect God because you know his goodness. Therefore, it's appropriate, you, his saints, to fear him. Do something. Show it in your life. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Now, here's that next passage that is completely quoted in Peter. The whole thing. This is from 12 to 16. What man is there desires life and loves many good days that he may seek good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from seeking deceit. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Cut them off from the memory of the earth. Peter quoted the whole thing, all of it. Why? Because there are certain things that are true of you if you think God is good. And there are certain things that are inappropriate for you if you believe that God is good. So you, you turn. Your repentance is simply not doing what you once did and loved because you can't unlearn that God is good. Something happened when you knew God's personality that you can't be that person anymore. Repentance is now, I go this way, not because, oh, I'm so good, I'm going this way and everybody else is going towards their ruin. That's not, there's no bragging. There's no boasting. I can't do it. God is too good. I can't look into the face of goodness and be like his opposite. I cannot dishonor him on purpose because I love him. So the second thing I wrote down is the second thing that happens when a godly man looks past his distress to a smiling God is that his behavior changes. When God is smiling and you're looking past your distress, your behavior changes. And it happens automatically. It's, it's something you don't get credit for. 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of us all. Can you see it? This is, these, this is the same as his, his testimony. These are the echoes of his testimony lived out in everybody's life. Many are the... Are, don't be surprised when crisis happens to you and you're thinking, yeah, right, God loves me. Yeah, right. No, he loves you. And you are going through these impossibly hard times and God will get you all the way through to his glory. And I wrote down... The third thing that changes a person when he looks behind his distress to see God smiling is that there's assurance that God is good. Do you see it? How do I know God's good? Because I can't repent unless I know God's good. I won't turn unless I know God is good. I won't have faith unless I know God is good. I will not fear him unless I know God is good. How do I know God is good? That's what a testimony does. A testimony is I've lived long enough to know that God is good and his goodness makes me fear him and my, his fear makes me change. All of it is based upon itself. Do you see it? 
That means God must show me himself. And the only way that I can turn to him is through my life. Why do we not go to glory immediately? We need to live that we may glorify God. When we praise God, it's with real hearts. We're truly praising him. Look at 20. We're at the end now. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, don't tell me there hasn't been Christians with broken bones. There have been many. This is the Lord Jesus. Remember, they couldn't break his bones. The Passover lamb couldn't have the bones broken. The two thieves had their, their legs broken, but Jesus was already dead, and it mystified the guards. How did he die? He couldn't, he couldn't have suffocated that quickly, but Jesus decided the moment of his death. He laid down his life, and he took it up again. He raised himself from the dead. And Jesus was in total control. He keeps all of his bones. Even in God's looking away from Jesus, he was still keeping him. You have never been rejected. Jesus was rejected. You're accepted. He was rejected. Even in his rejection of the Lord Jesus, he did not allow his bones to be broken. Why? Because six hours later, he was standing on those legs. Do you not realize they could not be broken They couldn't be severed. He was standing on those legs when he put breath back into his own body. Do you see it? God is in charge, and you look to him knowing his goodness, and yet dependence will give you enough gumption to get through your life. And then this is the end. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none that take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We stand stupefied in front of your gospel that you have accepted us and rejected your son, the, the, the good and the, the perfect uh, for us who've never been good nor never perfect in your sight, but you've set your love on us and will always love us for Jesus' sake. Give us great grace and let us look into that goodness and let it change our life. Let us be different than we've ever been for no, for no praise of ourselves, but only that it would be appropriate to look to you and never be ashamed. I thank you for your, for your power and we ask your power in the church in Jesus' name. Amen.